Good afternoon, good evening, one and all. Welcome to the Branching Factor podcast. We're trying something a little bit ambitious for the very first time. We're actually trying to record it and stream it live on the internet. This is guaranteed to go wrong somehow, but I'm in very good company. I'm Tommy Thompson, and of course, with me today is George Osborne. How are you today, sir? Not too bad. I think this has been quite a long week. I think it's been a long week for the industry. I think it's been a long week personally. I was out at uh, Pocket Gamer Connect, which is one of the big business conferences that that takes place at the start of the year. Uh, And it's been a week where I feel I've had that devastating combination of too much coffee and not enough sleep. So I'm both cranky and tired and yet somehow agitated and awake. It's like it's the games conference dream and it's something that you can all look forward to when GDC comes around as well. Oh God. Oh God. That's only like <laughs> six weeks away or something like that. Now that I think about it. Um, but yeah, I was going to get, we need to get onto that. And funnily enough, as you see, it has been a week. Uh, the whole pitch that we had for this episode, because it's the first time we've run the podcast since the new year was we wanted to do, let's talk about 2024. Where's things going? What do we, how are we, you know, particularly, uh, myself doing a lot of stuff in and around AI in the video game sector, which is, you know, increasingly kind of a bit of a talking point. And then George, right now you've also kicked, you've got your new video games industry memo over on Substack that's doing really well. You're spending a lot of time acting now as a, much of a commentator of the industry. So we've both got kind of interesting perspectives on this. And then, well, yeah, it has, it has been a week. <laughs> So yeah, uh, well, exactly. I mean, uh, it's obviously Microsoft, Activision Blizzard. I think in particular that's sort of top of the mind in terms of this week. I mean, in the end, it was what one thousand nine hundred layoffs. Oh, um, yeah, and I mean, so obviously, let's just go into the horror of what this means for the industry. It means there's been about 5,000 layoffs since the start of 2024. If you look across last year, people were talking about last year being a bad year when you had hit essentially, you know, five figures. You know, we got towards the 10,000 mark and people were going, that's a bad year. And that was towards the end of 2023. Uh, so to have had so many at the beginning of this year is a is a real kick in the teeth. And I, I think the thing, and, and it's interesting to sort of hear what you think about this as well, Tommy, is that, they are obviously, I think, still related to things that happened in the pandemic. You know, so I look at the Microsoft and Activision Blizzard ones and go, <laughs> Activision was bought at a slightly reduced price compared to its pandemic high because Bobby Kotick did terrible things to his employees and people found out about it. Yeah. But it was still way above, you know, what any other video games acquisition has been. And so I think there was a sense that. <laughs> that was always going to come down and there was always going to be this point where things like this were being restructured. But at the same time, it's, it's hard to escape the feeling at this moment in time that what we thought we might be leaving behind in 2023 is staying with us annoyingly for quite a long time. And in a way that really is hurting people. Yeah. Like you say, game layoffs were beginning to manifest in 2023. And I think that was the, the thing that I was really I, I, I struggled with it because under on one hand, a lot of people are looking at this and going, this is a really horrible reality. 
a lot of this is coming as a reflection of the downturn that's coming from the kind of the boom of the COVID years, a huge amount of investment that came into the industry because people were stuck at home and playing video games and suddenly all these big companies prospered. Um, and then subsequently, the, the funny thing is, of course, if you actually look at that trajectory, it's still linear growth. If you plot across the last 10 years, the games industry continues to grow, but it had this weird blip and then everybody over-invested because investors or whatever are thinking you need to do this. So this was kind of, I hate to say inevitable, but I, I knew there would be a shrinking of the industry at some point. But I think this combined with the current economic climate, cost of living, increased interest rates has made this even more extreme. And what we're seeing is it's worse than I thought it was going to be. And the horrible thing was, I thought 2023 is the start. Yeah. We're going to see this throughout 2024, probably into 2025, as it's going to take at least a fiscal year or two for all of this to begin to cool down. And also because the economic climate needs to calm down as well. So to see all that happen was very dispiriting. And then what's been really bad has been how quickly this has happened now. And like, we're we're not, it's not even February yet. 26th of January, we're recording this here, episode 13 of the Ranching Factor podcast. And already, what is it, over 5,000 people, half of what was recorded in 2023 have lost their jobs already in 2024. Sure, the, the Activision, uh, the ABK story was the big one. Again, like last year, Unity, Microsoft kind of taking up. Yeah. But the, the Microsoft one did really take me by surprise. Um, the, the scope of that, because I thought there's going to be job losses at some point as a result of the ABK acquisition because you're bringing an existing infrastructure for a very large publisher into an existing infrastructure for a mega publisher that is you know, considerably larger than ABK is. And so, yeah, there's going to be, we're going to streamline processes, particularly around you know certain aspects of DevOps, certain aspects of publishing, certain aspects even of like... Uh, Maybe not community, but marketing. Yeah. Kind of consolidate a lot of that. So I thought probably a couple of hundred jobs will get laid off or people will get reorganized within the business. So to see them drop nearly 2,000 people, that was um, sobering because we're also, as you say, Game Developers Conference, GDC is only a few weeks out. And I remember that being an undercurrent when I was at GDC last year was... Like even colleagues that I, you know, so uh, disclosure, I'm on the advisory board for the AI Summit. I had colleagues whose jobs were up in the air when yeah. we went to GDC um, or they lost their job right before or right after. I had friends who lost their job at GDC um, sitting in a talk and they're like, well, I've just been made redundant. Like, yeah. So I feel yeah. like the, the, the mood at, at GDC this year is going to be quite grim i feel yeah i think it's it was interesting being at pocket game connects this week because yeah there was still a lot of optimism and there was still a lot of enthusiasm i think it's remarkably natural within the games industry to be those things because it turns out the people who make fun are often quite fun and engaging not Funny always that. the case you'd be surprised <laughs> no, no, you'd, no, no, you'd, be, you'd be surprised um but I was I was hearing stories, you know, of people and what they've been through in the past year. You know, there was someone who was laid off from a job 
waited months to go and get another job, had essentially the contract in hand, and then the company that they were about to sign on the dotted line for laid off everyone in the team they were about to join, so the job offer went. Good lord. I heard... Yeah, I heard one person who was basically watching the layoff come to hit them, like the wave coming towards the shore. They could see their colleagues around them in other parts of the business being laid off. And they knew one by one it was their project that was being cut, right? You know, they weren't saying it, but it was happening. Yeah. And, you know, this is having this is having a real human impact. And I think, you know, it's one of those things about the, the sheer quantity of them starts getting to a point where you get fatigue you find it hard for your brain to process it you start just seeing it as a number and i think it's so important to make sure that that we try and keep them in in terms of every single person is actually still referenced but in terms of those industry trends and i think i think it's a really interesting point you were making you know what happened in terms of the investment side of things it's what i've been calling people to people sort of a middle finger bar chart for investment is that there was in 2021 <laughs> such a prominent spike in investment in things that were tangentially games web free metaverse all of these things or companies whose valuations were pumped up by investors getting very very excited but those were investors who were outside of the industry and who saw a 20% growth in the previous year as, oh, it's going to grow again for another year at that rate. And again and again. And it's like, no, what it's done is, you know, the industry's tailed off in terms of its growth, but it's still well above where it was forecast to be. It's about 15%, I think, above where it was forecast to be at the time. Yeah. But if you've had a load of companies expand by 20%, maybe more, then there's suddenly the adjustment. But there, there's, I think there's two other things to it, though, as well. One is... One is definitely strategic and talking about a lot of these businesses. So with Microsoft, yeah, I think it's about readjusting and trying to deal with the fact that they bought three big businesses who actually had quite a lot of overlapping functions even within themselves and hadn't yeah. really <clears throat> come to terms with that because my understanding of the relationship between Activision, Blizzard and King was that they actually had very few shared functions between them. They generally tended to operate as completely separate things in isolation. So you put them all under a Microsoft mothership, Microsoft doesn't operate like that. So no. there was that. And with Unity, Unity's cleaning house, you know, like you look at the people who've gone and it seems to be people who are especially on like the ad monetization side, they're looking much more at going back to the core engine perspective of it. But frankly, it's just like, there's also just how markets work, right? January, it's a new financial year in the US. It's a good time to go and clear stuff out and get, get the decks fully cleared out. And then finally, and this is most annoying and brutal of all, if enough people are doing it, you can do it too. You know, yeah. you can go further and harder than you were planning to because everyone else has done it. And, you know, I remember reading a piece last year where uh, an investor who was working in the game space mentioned Musk laying off loads of people and was like, well, Twitter doesn't seem to have had any issues. And so loads of tech companies have gone, let's go and lay loads of people off. And it's like, well, you're looking at it now and you're going, no, actually, X, as it's now called, has plenty of issues. And I think that mm. will be one of the things as well as as we get to the end of this year and people suddenly go, there's a new console generation probably about four years away. Did we cut too hard? Did we cut too fast? Now do we need to think about what we're doing again? I think it's going to be an interesting ride, that's for sure. Yeah, and of course, like you say, it's going to be an interesting ride, but at the same time, you know, as people's livelihoods. And this is often the problem. This isn't even the first time that we're really dealing... You know, the, uh, this is the first time I think we've seen this kind of level of substantial layoffs 
and downsizing across the industry since probably the Xbox 360 PS3 generation, where it was yeah. the um basically the, the erosion of the AA studio. Die like we went through a, a, what I call the kind of the the aftershock of Call of Duty. When Call of Duty Modern Warfare came out, every studio tried to go the, the triplest of AAA, yeah. and then subsequently the double A eroded. And I think it took until pretty much, actually, I think it really took until the success of a lot of indie studios building and becoming bigger and a lot of work for higher studios that emerged particularly during the PS4 and Xbox One generation that that double A kind of reasserted itself. Um, So it seemed much more concentrated in that space, I think, around that time. Uh, I know a lot of studios, in fact, uh, when I worked and I, I was working as a university lecturer in the Midlands and we had like three studios closed within the space of a year that were all within. One of them was 10 minutes walk, 20 minutes walk from my old job at Derby University. Um, but now it seems much more, it seems much more pervasive. We're seeing it in all these bigger companies and a lot of them, it's the ones that have aggressively invested during the last couple of years, whether it's Microsoft, whether it's Unity, whether it's, well, Embracer is just dropping things left and right because of their own gamble, that, uh, particularly with the um, with Middle East investment that then fell through. And, yeah. uh, and I, it's funny because, uh, so I, I, came, I went on to, uh, this is such a doom and gloom topic, but we're going to get on to fun stuff in a little bit, but this, it, we can't avoid talking about this because, I'm sure George as well as your end, like I have several friends who've lost their job this week, you know? Yeah. And and the thing that I'm really worried about, I talked about this on X, I guess, um, but also on, on Blue Sky about what we're going to see is an erosion, uh, probably one of the most seismic changes to um, essentially, we're going to have a skills shortage, I think, emerge as a result of all of this, because we're going to have so many people, it's going to be a talent drain, basically, that so many people are in this point where they've maybe lost their job, perhaps for the second time in the space of a year. And yeah. it's like, well, why am I bothering putting up with this? And this happens because the games industry is a very volatile space in terms of employ- employability. A lot of people do get laid off at studios it does happen, particularly after a big AAA launch or people leave because of burnout. And so that we do have this thing of losing institutional and organisational knowledge. That's a, that's a thing. I think this is going to be much more seismic. And particularly at the same time, one of the things in 2024 is going to be the proliferation of generative AI. 2023 was the warm up, much like the layoffs. This is going to be the year where you're actually going to start seeing it really kick off. And we've seen it in a number of different places where it, whether it was like Embark Studios with the finals, they're using generative AI for the commentators. Was it the Foam Stars by Square Enix, the, the game that they really don't want you to compare to Splatoon, but looks like Splatoon. They're using generative AI for frivolous art that they didn't need to do it on. Uh, we're seeing it there's been a few other instances where studios have come out and said, oh, we're exploring this or whatever else. And that happening at the same time as these layoffs is very concerning because one of the things, it's not even a case of that. I don't think it's going to be um, people just losing their jobs um, and being replaced by AI. I don't think that's actually the bigger problem. It's going to happen a little bit. That I think we can say for certain, but I don't think that's the bigger issue because the smarter people are going to figure out how to make it a tool and a pipeline. But what we're actually losing is you've got people who have got 20, 30 years in the business who 
are people with massive, massive amounts of institutional knowledge, of just experience. And when you're dealing with a junior who's coming into this space, you need to have that passed down. Because otherwise, because sooner or later, they need to assume that leadership role. What happens if generative AI then becomes part of a production pipeline where juniors are not getting the experience they need because now their job is to run the generative AI tool to solve this task rather than actually getting into a lot of the meat and potatoes of game development and yeah. not having that connection with a senior to go, oh, well, you know, back in my day when we used to do it, this is how we solved this problem. And yeah. it sounds trivial, perhaps to the outside looking in, but this is the sort of this is the real knowledge and value you get working in a company and in a studio like that to learn from these people because uh, subsequently that is going to inform your own perspective going forward. And I worry particularly for juniors coming into this space now, if they can even get a job, yeah. whether or not they're actually going to build their skill set in a way that's going to allow them to assume those senior roles down the line. That's the thing that's scaring me at the moment. Yeah, I think there are some really interesting things in there as well. I think one of the things this has actually made me think about is I know broadly the number of people laid off. I actually don't know much about the precise profile of them. There hasn't been, to my knowledge, um, as someone who hopefully watches the industry quite closely, analysis of the kinds of people who've been laid off, the way the roles have shaken out. So I'm, I'm aware it's been pretty painful for lots of people in lots of different contexts at lots of seniority and it's it's pretty widespread but even within that there will be trends there will be a sense of is it more seniors going because their salary cost is pretty top heavy if you factor in you know cost of living and everything increases going up is it juniors being sacrificed on the altar to be you know save costs and essentially go we may have things like generative ai being used within the pipeline which we're crossing our fingers and hoping that juniors can be replaced it's something that actually i'm not entirely sure about so i'd be really interested first of all to see that but the other things that you're talking about as well that there's two things that i've really noticed i think especially in the past couple of weeks that i think is happening as a result of this first thing is is that and you know i'm, I'm saying this as someone who is consulting at the moment so maybe i'm just trying to butter my own bread but it does <laughs> feel like it's boom time for consultants because the thing is, is that that expertise that you're talking about, businesses still need. They can't yeah. afford it in a full salary cost, and they probably can't afford it in a full agency cost. But if you are a solo consultant or you're a small consultancy and you charge a reasonable-ish fee in comparison to that, they will go for the equivalent of a junior mid-ranking employee. I can get the expertise that I now need. And so people are starting to plug in there. So it's like consultants, external development, those that kind of expertise is, is sitting there. Mm. The other thing is, uh, for my newsletter every week, I do sections about available jobs, people on the move, and then every month I also now do like a job seeker special to highlight people on, on, on the move. The thing that was really interesting in terms of the jobs this week were that there were plenty of video games jobs outside of games. So you had the BBC hiring for a global director for their licensing. You had DeepMind hiring game systems engineers. You had the Premier League hiring an associate producer to work on the, the well, fantasy football, but also other games that they're preparing. I think it's one of those things where the industry, one of the things that might be happening here is, is that that talent is actually going to go out and sort of sit in this kind of supporting ring. And one of two things either happens, it's either the industry suffers as a result of this because that talent ends up in those places instead and, grows those things in a way that is possibly less to the industry's interest and more to the interest of those companies 
or it could be one of those things where it could lead to kind of like a useful extension of the industry's boundaries where talent starts moving out into those safer havens where you know you've got more security in say uh, a place like the premier league weirdly which you shouldn't be the case but you know you've got kind of that more security within mm. that kind of place and can grow a sort of a different kind of games experience games expertise i'm very interested to see how that goes and my hope is is that that is one of the things that helps to essentially keep people within the industry universe because exactly as you say like back at the back in the day i think a lot, lot of people know that i was at uki the video games industry trade association in the uk and we did a big industry census and one of the things that was always coming out every time we did it was senior talent leaves you get to your mid-30s and the drop-off compared to games is you know much bigger than other industries because it's less secure it's less well paid yeah. if you're getting to that point of going i want to get a mortgage i want to look after my family you know i i saw someone post last week saying oh i've been in games for 20 years i've been laid off four times it's like hmm yeah if i've got a mortgage which i currently do um and i'm going i really need a secure job because that's what's going to make me feel most comfortable take your games skills take the things that you've got in terms of whether you're a pr person or whether you're working from a coding background and just apply it somewhere else you know that's what a lot of people will be thinking and that's yeah. that's the potential risk here like it particularly but among engineers that's always been a, a recurring thing because even though the mid the bulk of the time like a programmer tends to get paid more than an artist an animator producer etc in a game studio they're still getting paid a fraction of what they could be paid if they were elsewhere you know, it's yeah. like, oh, well, you know, I really enjoy making games, but I can make twice the money if I go and write apps for a, a mobile, like a, for an investment bank. You know, yeah. um, I, I have literally done this. I have worked in the investment banking sector. It paid all right. Um, yeah. Horrible people, but the money was good. And then yeah. games, the people are, the people are great. The money is terrible. <laughs> but yeah. funnily enough, uh, you know, what you're saying is like, both of us are in that capacity of consulting. Um, and I'm also very conscious of this. This is actually becoming, I think, particularly the, given the current environment, one of the things that I am very conscious of because I'm an AI consultant. It's sort of all right. I've got to really cement my my credentials, and it's I'm not. I didn't rapidly go and change my LinkedIn bio in the last six months. Sort of, we were talking about this before we went on air, but like I've been in this space for a decade. I, I know a thing or two about a thing or two. And so, uh, funnily enough, I've, I've literally had this conversation with a client recently because we're talking about, hey, they're interested in, could we actually use a few tools to try and optimise our production, whether it's generative AI, whether it's other types of, of AI in general. And we were having this conversation. I said, look, I'm happy to talk to the rest of the studio to try and allay fears because one of my concerns is that people will see me coming in, like, oh, I'm here to visit the studio for a couple of days. And it's like... He's basically going to start figuring out which of us are getting, you know, the chop and what, yeah. and here's a tool that's going to replace you, which is absolutely not my intent. My intent is to find tools that are going to help expedite your workflow and help solve production yeah. problems. But I totally understand people are going to see that when they're talking, when they're, when they're seeing me just going, who is this guy? Um, but, uh, yeah, um, it's going to be, it's, I think, like you say, it's going to be a, an interesting year to watch. I'm certainly, I'm trying to do more doing kind of industry commentary over on this channel. Actually, if you're watching this on YouTube on AI and Games Plus about generative AI stuff, I'm going to keep trying to do more of this because I think it is really important to give context. And yeah. 
it is sort of kind of what you and I are both trying to do is trying to give industry context, trying to make sure that people understand what's actually happening and, and the be- the pluses and minuses that, that emerge as a result of this. I think right now it's very much in the, the minus. Um, yeah. But I guess coming back to um, Pocket Gamers Connect, because I would, I would have loved to have went, but um, yeah. bad timing for me personally. Like, so what else was the sort of, what was happening? Because I've never been to like, PGC once, if I remember right, like many moons ago. Yeah, yeah. PGC is a it's a really interesting event because, I mean, so it, it takes place about three weeks into the year. So it is, it's the time where everyone goes for their first business meetings of the year. It's their first time to practice their pitch, and it has this mixture of. On the one hand, it is trying to be like a mobile games event because that's Pocket Gamers' background, and to be fair to them, you know, consumer business side, they've they've been there literally pretty much longer than anyone else, and as long as anyone else. You know, the conference was ten years old this year, which you know they they were making a big celebration of. But you know, one of the big things that I was picking out from this year, just in general, and it's something that's been going on for the last few years, has just been the blurring of the boundaries. You know, the divisions between platforms are feeling, I think, increasingly arbitrary to both players mm. and the market. You know, there are some times where there's a legitimate reason for a platform boundary. You know, anything that's created as a VR-first experience, it's a very obvious technical reason why that's the case. But if you're talking about a consumer market now where people are used to, you know, you've got Spotify, you walk over to your laptop, you start playing it there, it's playing there off your laptop, you get in because you know you've had your laptop with you and you've had your headphones plugged in and you go over and switch on a smart speaker and it carries on and picks up where it it left off that is the expectation for consumer music it's the expectation in terms of the way people consume film tv all of those things games has entered this space where for probably the first time it really feels behind what other creative mediums are doing to the average person who is playing and unless you you know and again people will go well you know let's just use Fortnite as an example because we'll probably come back to that to talk about what's going on with app stores but you know Fortnite was available on mobile devices was it the device of choice for most people no but was there a generation of younger players and a generation of players in other markets especially in Asia who were willing to just go with mobile first and happy to make it work for them yeah and you could unite them into a cross-platform experience so I, I think one of the things that's in general is happening is what's going on with all of the blurring of these boundaries and then how is that being accelerated as well by things like roblox right where roblox is just platform agnostic it is just everywhere it's available and accessible you can create yeah. and become part of that economy you know it's not just the boundaries between platforms that are blurring it's the boundary between the player and the developer like that entire relationship is going so that that was one thing and then i, I sort of referenced the eu the other thing that just really stood out was normally I'm one of the weirdos talking about politics and policy at a video games event. People are like, <laughs> George, what are you doing? We don't want Mate, to talk about this. this again. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, the classic example was 2018 GDPR and people going, what, what is GDPR? And it's like, you've got four days to comply. And people are going, do you think I should probably phone my lawyer about this? Yes, you should phone your lawyer <laughs> you about should. this. If we look at where we are to, in, in terms of what happened this week, the thing that I noticed was just grassroots developers talking about it, you know, and talking about it playing absolutely something that's essential for them. And I think it's because tech policy has become like the contested space in terms of what's going on politically. Mm. So, you know, loads of people at that conference do have mobile interest. So therefore, the fact that 
essentially the EU's put in place something called the Digital Markets Act, which is pretty much forcing the App Store open. There's a whole load of conversation at the moment about how Apple's doing that and the way Apple is trying to stop people from doing it by basically sort of charging them exorbitant fees for doing so in a way that's funnily similar to the uh, Unity runtime fees. Um, but there's a whole load of conversation about, is this about to break? Is this going to give us a load of opportunity? And then online safety, right? Like, you know, yeah. Digital Service Act, uh, that's coming into force later this year in the EU and the Online Safety Act is coming into force in September in the UK. And those come with punchy fines, 10% of global turnover kind of fines for failing to protect users under their responsibilities. And in the UK case, failing to discharge your responsibilities properly, especially in regards to the regulator asking you to make changes, you, you are going to have to send someone up to go to prison, right? It's called senior management liability. So if you've got user to user communications in your games, you have to know this stuff. And I think one of the things that was really noticeable was so many people talking about it. You know, I think it's the time that the games industry has realized it's both big enough and significant enough that politics is at its door. Yeah. And you have to know it. You have to adapt to it. And I think increasingly people are going, well, we have to get our voices heard because if we don't, it's Speaking just going to be stuff that's designed for big tech, right? Speaking of voices being heard, the audience is saying that your microphone is a little quieter than mine. A little quiet. There we go. Is that yeah, better? Prob I think it's sure. I felt it. Um, sure. But uh, we'll let them uh, dictate that in a we'll second. Let it percolate. But, but funnily enough, um, talking about this, we've also got on top of all this the ongoing. Let's, well, we've talked about this over on uh, the VGIM was the generative AI legal. Well, the legal situation around AI as a whole, and particularly um, generative AI, uh, is proving to be quite an issue. Uh, Happy Pie says, "Sorry, it's still very low. So, if there's any boosting you can do on your device, that might help." But I'm going to talk right. for a minute anyway. Um, so, yeah, we've currently got the situation, and we've talked. I've talked about this a lot over in AI and Games Plus, in the sense that we are dealing with a lot of generative AI technologies are being pushed onto the sector at a time when legislation has not really caught up with it. And the knock-on effect of that, or the problem with that, is that there's a lot of legal ambiguity around whether or not you can use certain technologies. And so my, my, my last video that I put out, we were talking about Steam's updated uh, policies because they're trying to make it clearer as to whether or not you can use certain tech in your game uh, when you try and launch it and then trying to break it down in more detail as to what types of technologies, how are they being adopted in your game, what are the issues that you have to have to be considering. And I think they're trying to make this a little clearer, but even then they're not particularly clear on the guidelines because the technology is changing so rapidly and also there isn't really any legislation that's been formalised in the US, in the EU. You know, the UK, as much as they want to argue that they're going to do whatever, they're pretty much just going to play ball with what the EU says because otherwise they're not really, you know, it's almost as if leaving the European Union has left us with a bit of a headache in how we actually assert our independence. But a problem is <laughs> a political discussion for another time. Um, but certainly at this point, with a lot of the companies, like, you know, if you look at things like uh, Midjourney, Stable Diffusion, um, like OpenAI in general, Microsoft are all currently in legal battles. We've got the US Congress now saying that actually we think you should be paying anybody that we think that, that anyone whose data you may have procured as part of your generative AI training data, well, you're going to have to go and pay them. And then companies coming out and saying, well, actually, if we do this, we'll bankrupt us because it's no way it's possible for us to pay 
for all of the assets that we're using. Like, well, should you exist? But it's causing, and I think this is a real problem because I think a lot of companies are applying generative AI in very limited quantities, waiting to see the blowback, both in terms of whether or not it suffers legal ramifications, but also what's the, the user response to it? Because also in general, the user response has been, uh, it's, it's, you know, yeah. I've not really heard many examples where people have spoken highly about the adoption of, of generative AI in a particular project. Um, you know, people, I was chatting with someone recently because we were playing a lot of the finals, which came out uh, in December, I think. I think that was when it finally came out of beta or whatever. And it's now yeah. like full, the full season's running. Um, the, like you say, they use generative AI for the, the voices of the commentators. The voices are abysmal. Like, I actually I remember the first time I heard them, I thought, yeah. oh, this, is, this game's in beta. It's, it's their first season, so it's probably still rough around the edges. They'll probably replace those voice actors because they probably threw it in at the last minute. And then a week later, I yeah. read it was a generative AI system. It's like, oh, good. Now I don't feel bad because those voice lines are really bad. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you're completely right in terms of the attempt to try and work out what the pushback is going to be. Mm. Can you sneak it for? Can you sneak forwards? with certain bits and pieces without people kicking back too much. And if you can do that, well, if you can take, you know, that first yard, you can take the second and then suddenly, you know, you'll try and grab a few more yards and then suddenly it's away you go and you've, you've taken the whole lot. But I think the challenges you've articulated around it are exactly why developers are going to find it difficult to do so. And you know, going back to talking at Parker Gamer, I, I spoke on a panel which was about, will 2024 be the rebirth, a renaissance for the games industry? I mean, entertainingly, everyone said, no, don't be silly. Uh, <laughs> it's more like a reconfiguration or a restructuring. But generative AI came up and people said, well, you probably won't see any decent application of it until well into the year, if not into next year. Yeah. On the basis that, one, uh, it is difficult to do well in terms of adding it to the pipeline, something that you've said to me before. Two, it gives too much user blowback. And three, the legal situation around it is such a nightmare. And this is one of the times where actually a lot of very powerful lobbying forces with a lot of money stand to lose something. You know, in, in recent years, it's very often been big tech who've been had all the cash are pushing something forwards and no one can stop them because they've got so much money you're looking at this and it's like worlds of entertainment and these things have first of all very well-paid lobbyists in your very biggest entertainment companies you also have soft power enormous soft power and the idea of human creativity and the intellectual properties and, and everything that have been created that people have fallen in love with somehow being threatened it's the kind of story that gets people who are thinking about law policy animated and aggressive against you. And so what that means is that, you know, you're using a generative tool and you're not entirely sure where it's coming from. Like, you know, you, you said this to me, like when I interviewed you for VGIM, it's just like, good luck, lads. You know, you are taking your life into your own hands on this one. And yes, you know, Steam may be sort of weakening in terms of its position on it, but I tell you something, Steam is a very bad way of thinking about what your risk is because Steam is far too open. Yeah. And 
if anything, one of the things to keep an eye on probably for the next few years is people within policy worlds going, hang on, why have we just let this pretty libertarian platform exist without meaningfully regulating it when it accounts for a major portion of one of the biggest entertainment sectors in the world that happens to also be intermeshed in our technologies and lives you know steam's ability to kind of go under the radar is fading um and so in this generative ai context as well what it chooses or doesn't choose to do you know it might be like the backstop in terms of what you can get away with but it's certainly not in terms of risk so yeah i i think there will be people using it and there will be people trying to grab grab a bit of ground but anything substantial from any big business is going to be slow and steady or else right yeah like we're, we're like you know we're still trying to figure out like that's the thing and i think this is i uh so i talked about it with yourself but also when i was interviewed about it for the bbc which also you had a hand in making happen, um, was one of the things I was talking about, is a lot of the stuff that people see, particularly with generative AI, it's, oh, wow, cool, it can make a 3D model. Oh, wow, cool, it can make a texture. Oh, wow, it can write a bit of dialogue. It's like, right, that's cool in and of itself. Is it practical and is it useful? And I'm a cynic because most of the time I'd say no. Uh, looking at it like funnily enough i don't use gpt on a day-to-day basis i have used gpt in a handful of cases and it's almost i think all of these tools have exactly the same thing they're so mediocre in the the quality of the output that they present and that isn't to say that you know you look at other ai generated images oh they're pretty it's like yeah they're pretty but they're actually quite formulaic and they conform to very particular styles and standards whereas i need something that's bespoke that suits my needs and i need to be able to rip it apart and tear it apart and play with it in order to sort the thing i want so talking about um gpt for example i've often i actually talked about this with my partner and i said one of the best things about gpt is it writes the text that no one wants to write and very few people want to read yeah so yeah oh you know, oh, because actually my partner was like, I have an end of year performance review thing I need to write. And I'm like, get GPT to write it for you. But no, that just sounds like a terrible idea. I was like, have a look. Going, she actually did try it. Oh, actually, I can steal bits of this. And I've yeah. done this for um, pitches and a few other bits and pieces where it's like, oh, please write a paragraph on this. And I'm like, oh, right. GPT yeah. does the first draft. Oh, this is crap, but this is enough of a spine that I can then rip it apart and put it together. So we haven't figured out how it's really going to fit in the production pipeline yet. And even looking, so, you know, I've got, we've got AI Summit at GDC coming up. I'm looking, we had a couple, we've got a couple of generative talks coming in and most of it is still like, we're trying to figure out how it can work in this context. Yeah. None of it. And I, I said this when I was interviewed at the BBC, you're not going to see games that use this aggressively and pervasively for at least another year or more. Yeah. You know, Foam Stars do, is doing it for like collectible albums that are like side trinkets that you collect in the game or whatever. This is them testing the waters, as you so said. Oh, what if we can and what if we can create these little yeah. art assets that we can put in? What's the what's the blowback from the audience? Does this put us in any sort of legal hot water? Do we end up having a regulator or someone start pestering us? Because at that point, it's like, oh, right, this is a quick thing to fix, right? It's a handful of textures that you can quickly swap out. It's not like yeah. half the game ends up having to get redone. So this is, it's it's kind of, um, it's, it's, it's a very ins- minor issue. And actually, that was the thing that annoyed me about that story when I read about it, because it's, album covers, collectible album covers, which is meant to be part of the aesthetic and style of the game. And I thought, 
that's the sort of thing an artist loves to do. Yeah. Like that sounds like a fun thing. I mean, I'm not an artist. I mean, I can draw, but you know, that's about it. But I thought I have art. I have friends who back when, actually when I launched Sure Footing on Steam and Xbox years ago, I hired my friends to do achievement art. I could have, you know, nowadays, or I could just get Dali or whatever to do it. But at the time I thought, oh, that's such a fun thing. And I went out and spoke to one of my friends and I said, would you be interested in doing this? And they said, oh, wow, this sounds like so much fun. So I gave them all yeah. the achievement um, information and they went off and made me a bunch of little achievement icons and they're great and I love them. And it's like, ah, I understand what you're trying to do, but also it pissed me off so much that that's how you decided to try and employ it because it sounded like something that was actually fun and creative versus the ghostwriter tech that Ubisoft have announced, yeah. which is incidental dialogue generation, which... That sounds more like, give me a tool that deals with something I don't want to have to figure out. So proper lines of dialogue that actually influence story. My narrative designer is going to have control of that. But having, can you give me eight different ways an NPC can apologize for bumping into you? Oh, right. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. The first two, oh, sorry. Oh, excuse me. And then you're like, oh, shit. Now what? So having a tool do that. Google synonyms, right? Right. But exactly. th- this is the thing is that in, in terms of, I mean, I, I don't use GPT at all because why would I take away the one thing that I've got over it, which is my style, my mm. insight, the stuff it doesn't know. I know loads of gossip that GPT doesn't know. I can talk to people off the record about stuff. They get on the phone to me. They explain stuff to me. Never going to learn it because it's never going to be online anywhere, because that is an off-the-record no, no, conversation. No. So if I suddenly start going, right, I want to churn my newsletters out by getting GPT to write a load of stuff, I make my writing boring, I make it generic, I make it pointless. Where I've used or used things that do have sort of an AI functionality within them, it's been to unlock creativity, to turn me from being you know, that person who's grinding on a dull task because it has to be done into someone who can spend more time editing and thinking about things. So the simplest thing is just Zoom cloud transcription, right? Of course. Right. Where, yeah. right, you, you know, and this is the thing, those transcriptions aren't perfect. You know, you do have to go and check some things from time to time. You have to go and sort out the punctuation, this, that, and the other. But what happens is you get at the end of the call and then five minutes later, you've basically got the transcript in front of you. So then your job switches from being... I need to spend 60 minutes, maybe a couple of hours, depending upon how long it is, typing, writing, pausing, doing all of that stuff just to get to the point, you know, knackering yourself out in the process. You can just jump ahead to what you do as a writer. What you do as an editor is Mm. look, find the interesting things, build the story, because you've saved two hours on the churning out the transcription so that you can edit. And I think so much of the talk around... AI and generative AI, and this is me speaking not as an expert. You are obviously completely the expert, and your your viewers almost certainly are some of the experts too. But my sense around it is so much of the conversation is about perceived risks and perceived doom and gloom about it. That people aren't actually just going and sitting and thinking, what is actually the constructive, realistic way this is going to be used, and how can you generate that upside yourself? 
since you know i've started using the zoom uh transcription function i've started doing a lot more interviews for my newsletter and i'm producing more interesting content because i can just focus on finding really good people spending time researching really good questions finding the interesting stuff they say and going much more into the detail and it's like too often it seems to be about just like someone thinking what can i do in a race to the bottom you know how can mm, i yeah how can i how can or even just how can i make work easy and the idea is for me is almost like work is never easy right whatever you're doing it's hard can you get rid of some tedious elements of it yes but you're going to find the work hard somewhere else instead as a response a result of it it's just that question of can you get to the more valuable stuff using it and that that feels to me more of the direction it needs to go in but at this moment in time like you say well-intentioned efforts and then suddenly they take away one of the actual great outlets for creativity that if you offer it and you go i mean let's say the album art right you know what you do instead you don't get generative ai to do it you go and commission a load of famous album artists right to go and do one each and it costs you a bit of cash costs you a bit of wedge and yet you can turn them all into unlockables that people generally want into merchandise that people want to get into art that you can then go and monetize whereas with the generative stuff people are just going like even the the optics of that the optics of we use generative ai to do this versus we hired the album art the the artist of like this person who's done this album and this album and this album and we hired these people to make album covers we're going to release it as a like you say we could also release it as a book or something like that but just the optics on that alone just sounds awesome. Like if they'd announced, yeah. oh, we've went and got these famous people to come and do this and sure, maybe they paid them a wee bit of money or whatever, but like that is actually more appealing. Yeah. I think it can, I think cause it shows an investment in the brand and in the product that they're, they're committed yeah. to the product. They're like, we're willing to spend extra money to elevate this like one step further versus yeah. what this sounds more like is we tried to cut a corner somewhere. And yeah, we we, square we tried to, people, you know, they got the money. Yeah, absolutely. And and we we tried to cut a corner somewhere in an effort to allow us just to cut a load more corners in ways that kind of go against what we should be doing, which is being creative, right? Like mm. that's that's what people are in this thing for. And and that's again, it's not to say <laughs> don't use technologies like this in interesting ways or don't think no. about ways that you could use it. I mean, you, you talked to me about the Mass Effect example, you know, upscaling the textures in terms of the remaster trilogy. Yeah. Like, hey, you know what? That's really, really smart. That's a really sensible way to, to go and use a machine learning technology. Like, as I understand it, again, this is me being a dum-dum here, but looking at that and going, these are historic games that people want to still play and bringing it back to life at considerably less expense so you as a business can make money people can play it and you can put that back into doing more of that great i think everyone is literally everyone is on board with that because why not right Um, and then it frees up designers developers everyone who instead of going yeah you're now going to get locked into the next two years in just upscaling a load of assets it's now instead cool you can focus entirely on new stuff creative stuff interesting Mm -hmm. stuff because we've got that covered you you played the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, I think, after yeah. before I told you about that as well. Yeah, completely. Uh, it blew my mind when you told me that, like genuinely. And I, I think that that's you know just been sort of one of the consistent things about this is just 
once again the problem here is not the technology it's not even the industry it's the mm. gold rush it yeah, is the people exactly. who are it's the prospectors who are just running in who've dropped all of the web free stuff from their handles and are now positioning themselves <laughs> as ai consultants much to your chagrin um but they're they're running into this space and what they're doing is they're they're, they're first of all chatting absolute nonsense they don't know what they're talking about they don't know their expertise and they don't know that the industry has been doing so much of this foundational work already and i think that's that's the bit where it gets really damaging because credible use of ai within right technology starts to get lumped in with people who are just going you can make a game using this you just have to go and ask it to do it and it comes out with a great video game it's like no it doesn't you know it doesn't it comes out with nonsense it comes out with rubbish the people mm. won't want to play um so yeah i mean this is again me just venturing non-expert opinions but i think there is that sense of people forgetting that what it should be doing is basically targeted towards unlocking as much human creativity as possible not taking it away that reminds me i'm going to at some point we need to do a video on this or i'm going to do a video on this because i know we talked about the mass effect one one of my favorite ai applications of the last 12 months is in god of war ragnarok because they do the technology for upscaling in real time in the game and it's, so it's sort of like DLSS, which is what the NVIDIA graphics cards run nowadays. And the reason they did that was to cut install sizes on your PS5, because otherwise it would just be, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to, I think they said that they managed to cut like, the install size of God of War Ragnarok by like a third or 25% yeah. or something like that through this approach. And I think that's amazing. That's a really useful and interesting application that actually only really benefits the end user because they're like, all oh, right, well, I need to uninstall Call of Duty now because I want to go and play God of War Ragnarok. But that's a story for another time. I'm um, just noticing in the chat there, Happy Pie says, I use GPT more as a manual or knowledge hub for things that I want to learn. Mostly programming. More efficient than Googling, which was ironic given become which has ironically become even worse as of late because of AI spam. So using it to learn or look things up, pretty much. And I think it kind of speaks to, I think, really what you were saying a minute ago, that one of the big issues that we have is like, Wind the clock back 18 months. Everyone's talking about Web3 and NFTs. Now, Web3 and NFTs, I'm not an expert in that field, but from the outside looking in, it strikes me as fucking useless in the context of the games industry. And I know people who've worked in blockchain for a very long time, but doesn't matter how many times you try and polish this turd, I'm still pretty confident it's a turd. I think the, yeah. di the big difference between that and generative AI is that we're having the same hype, the same prospectors coming into the space making an awful lot of noise and like you see this race to the bottom but actually there is some good stuff that can come out of this and i think that is yeah. the big difference because at least the last time when square enix or ubisoft were like we're going to make nfts it went down like a lead balloon whereas the, there is this kind of space of some some of the stuff that gets announced and you go oh what the heck is this crap and then on the other end there is all this other interesting work that's happening where you think that is cool that is useful I'd love to see where that goes. But also, yeah. I think looking at, for example, the the finals voice actors, I don't think a lot of it is ready yet. And one of the things I get, I get really annoyed about is um, winding the clock back to my academic days, and particularly my early research career. Researchers often are the inventors of elaborate hammers. And what they do is they create the best hammer in the world 
but it can only hammer three types of nails. And so, but they don't know what those nails are when they make the hammer. And so what happens is they build this really cool hammer and then they spend an awful lot of their time running around trying to find a nail to hit to hit with, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that's where we are right now. We had this a little bit with deep learning and now we're seeing it again with generative AI. We've got this really cool technology. It's not quite there yet, but everyone's running around with their really awesome AI hammer trying to find something to hit. And so, you know, we went through this with deep learning where everyone tries to apply a deep learning algorithm to solve every problem in the world. And then we go, actually, might be better off just using an existing approach or technique because it doesn't fit that type of problem. And there's going to be situations where that happens. I feel like the same thing's happening with generative AI is everyone wants to try and hit everything with the generative AI hammer. And we're go- it's going to take us a little while to really learn from it. Much in the same way that, as we talked about on the VGIM a while ago, like this, the silent revolution of deep learning in video games was something that took a while to kick off because there was a lot of conversation prior to that that never really... I, I was in meetings with game developers 15 years ago about how to use machine learning and they're going, nah, that's not going to work. That's not going to fit how we do things. It's not going to fit our production pipeline and our processes. And now, very different story. So I feel like yeah, there is actually some useful work that's going to happen it's going to take time and it's i think we're going to go through a very ugly 12 months to 18 months i think with this as more and more like you like we said like they're going to test the waters a little bit more the legal situation is going to evolve and then i think in time it's going to cool off but i think it's going to foster a lot of mistrust and a lot of resentment or even just anger i think within the industry like i've already had this not anger but i distinctly remember a conversation i had uh, at GDC last year where I was chatting with someone who I wouldn't name names or but they worked for a big AAA studio and we were meeting for the first time and someone introduced me as an AI consultant and I, they gave me a look they went AI or like game AI and I said I do both but my favourite but I prefer game AI and they were like alright cool yeah. And it's it's sort of the it's like the Scottish people on on actually the equivalent of this is Scottish people on holiday. Yeah. Um which is English and they're they're giving you that look and you go Scottish and they go hey Sorry, and away mate. you go. Sorry. No, 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 no. It's <laughs> uh, it's it, it's a funny thing cuz uh, as he was saying this it was kind of going again back to what we discussed when we were having an interview but also a conversation I was having yesterday funnily enough with someone who works at an organization which is about trying to hook up academics with people in the games industry to try and turn what they're doing in terms of their research into practical, interesting applications of an interactive entertainment. Let me ask you later who that was. was. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No, it's interesting stuff, right? Um, But one of the things that you said to me, uh, you know, in terms of the way people are thinking about pipelines is end product you know you need to get to the end product because you've got this much cash to make this project in this period of time or else everyone as we've seen loses their job right so what does that mean you have this weird mixture in which on the one hand you have people who are creative who are thinking about how do you create a really fun and engaging game those people then are therefore quite naturally in favor of innovative things. Let's try this new technology or this new approach because it's quite cool. But then they've got the conservatism of someone building a bridge. This has got to not collapse, right? This has got to work. And so therefore you have this sense where it's like creative, but in 
remarkably narrow boundaries in a sense mm. is that you're very able to be creative but again you might these people may well not see how a technology could actually be applied in a way that could really help them because they're thinking 12 months 24 months six months maybe even you know and going this thing needs to this thing needs to work. This can't go wrong. And so therefore you won't try yeah. it. And yeah. so you do have that challenge. And what you do need is, frankly, you need some belligerent idiots who are going to fundraise a load of cash, who are going to somehow get a load of money somewhere because they sell a game in early access and it's, you know, definitely fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, people like that to go and step on the rakes blow themselves up on the landmines or in very rare cases scamper through the minefield completely unscathed because it turns out that the magic shoes they invented let's go on this tall tall metaphor that, that you started on it actually the magic shoes were perfect it was the perfect solution and everyone else is going bloody hell i need to get my magic shoes right and then off they go <laughs> but I, th I think there's that that's that's the challenge is it is it's the challenge of all new technologies it's the challenge of all revolutions which is to what extent do you go in on it and how much do you miss by not and i think yeah. you've mentioned it as well that's really interesting about this is didn't go in on web3 well you know unless you were talking about bitcoin and being there for the very early days and then suddenly being stonkingly rich because people were paying silly money for it almost everyone else wiped out by it games industry in a large part this year and last year has been wiped out by it because stupid people said that video games and nfts and web3 was all the same thing and suddenly when the money dries out lots of impact through the market but generative ai and ai in general i mean it's demonstrated its use case it's demonstrated broadly speaking where it can fit in this element of the technology might not have the full answers yet but someone's going to arrive at them at some point and yeah. i think that's the difference here is just how can you stop the really shady idiots from ruining git for everyone else but also how can you make sure that if anyone gets too far if anyone does get ahead they don't get too far ahead because i mean that's that's the other big thing as well is just who's got the size and scale to have enormous data sets that they have access to, that they have enough money to run big LLMs or whatever to go and do this kind of work. Well, it's the kind of people who've um, dominated the economy for the last decade, for better, for worse, for mm. society, technology, and politics. So it's bloody complicated. And to my mind, the easiest way for you to kind of get through it is wait and see for another few months. You know, keep your eye, keep your eye out, keep, keep your finger an eye on the pulse. It, but don't, yeah. It's like about the farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, people are still saying you're. We're going to look to see if we can boost your audio. I think the next time we do this, oh, damn because it. um, yeah, we'll just. I mean, it's literally, it's literally here. I mean, it's just like I don't know how much louder this could be. It's uh, like, fun, sorry, funnily everybody. enough, even on my end, you're actually not as loud as you could be. Funnily enough, when I'm looking at it, but I haven't figured out. We'll we'll get there. We'll get there. Hey, who knows? I like I, it. You're, I mean, you're I enjoying this because now you look like a football pundit. So I, I, I very much do. I do feel a lot like John Watson here. Um, so, you know, I mean, but, I, I, but anyway, you know, I, what I'm going to try and do, I'm going to obviously just try and diddle around with these controls one final time. But what else were we going to be talking about, Tommy? Because well, I think there was some more stuff. We were going to think about some more fun things. Um, uh, let's see um, people asking if you set the correct mic in um, Happy Pie says 
Happy Pisces kind of reminds me of procedural generation in games where there has been developers thinking, oh, this is an amazing tool, let's use it, and then think they'll have a nuanced, varied, and high-quality world generation tool in six months. I feel like the, on that note, I feel like the thousand balls of oatmeal problem has came back again with generative AI. I gave this, I remember giving a talk about this years ago, about the backlash, or not so much the backlash, but the reaction to No Man's Sky. And I was sort of explaining that you've got the thousand bowls of oatmeal problem compound, conflated with the, um, or compounded rather, by the uh, Star Wars archetype problem. Or every science fiction universe has the same problem of every planet is just one biome. Here's the snow planet. Here's another snow planet. Here's the desert planet. Here's the other. Like, remember when The Force Awakens came out and everyone went, hang on, are they going back to Tatooine? And it wasn't. Yeah. Um, was it? Um, it was uh, God, Jakku. Jakku. I couldn't remember. Um, I haven't watched The Force yeah, Awakens. And don't, don't I, feel bad about it. No, no, no. I, the only one of them I've rewatched, and uh, actually, there's two of them that I've watched in recent memory. I rewatched Rogue One and I rewatched The Last Jedi because no. I like both of those films. I'm a Last Jedi. I'm not going to defend it entirely. There are problems, but I think The Last Jedi is by far the most interesting of those three movies. I have never watched The Rise of Skywalker since I saw it in the cinema. It's an ab- absolute disaster. That's Terrible the first, film. That's the first time I came out of a Star Wars movie and I was angry. And this is despite the fact I went to a midnight screening of Attack of the Clones where they got the reels mixed up. Wow. I'll, okay. I'll, all right. I'll tell you We'll, that we'll talk about this about. later. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they mixed the reels up and I lost 30 minutes of the movie and I still enjoyed it more than The Rise of Skywalker. I know. And I mean, Attack of the Clones was and also, pretty dire. Attack like. of the Clones is the worst of the prequels. Um, actually, yes. I also think uh, it's, a, it's a toss up, I think, between Rise of Skywalker and Attack of the Clones is the worst Star Wars movie ever made. Don't know. Anyway, moving on. Anywho. Um, yeah, the other thing I wanted to talk about, just let's, let's try and end on a little bit of a, a fun note, because we do we do like games. We do enjoy games. We even play yeah. games sometimes. sometimes. Let's have a look at the release schedule. What's coming out this year that we're actually excited about playing? Um, well, and f- well that, that, that's one of the other things as well. Like people, I'm, I'm afraid, sorry, to go back to the kind of doom and gloom <laughs> so, side of things, <laughs> is that coming into 2024... I'm doom and just gloom. doing this. Yeah, it's just hello. Um Going into 2024, I did a piece for VGM where I was just like, look at the year ahead, look at what's coming down the pipe. And it was like, oh, it's pretty quiet at the moment. Um, and it is starting to get busier. I think the Xbox, uh, the developer direct helped yes. out quite a bit because that chucked in indie, it chucked in avowed. It seemed to suddenly make things a bit noisier. And everyone is basically waiting for when is Nintendo going to do the thing? Right. Okay. We know let's let's quickly do that. Let's quickly do that. Let's quickly do that because my assumption, or I'm thinking they're going to do what they've done before. Yeah. They'll finally admit its existence in the spring. We'll have a direct in the summer that tells us a little bit more about it. When I say the thing, I'm talking about the next console. And if they're going to do it this year, they announce in the spring, direct in the summer, release September. Yeah. It's a it's a fall release, it becomes the number one Christmas item. To me, that's the Nintendo template. They've done that before. I wouldn't be surprised if they do it again. And also, unlike the other platform providers, they never announce the new console until they're they've they're confirmed they have a launch date for it. Because yeah. everyone was saying, Oh, last Christmas, oh, they're gonna announce it in the winter. I'm like, no, they're not, because this is the last no. winter. And they're they're riding on Pikmin 4, they're riding on Tears of the Kingdom, they're riding on Super Mario Brothers Wonder to sell 
more copies to yeah. sell more consoles because they're going to get as many of them as they can. And then, right, now we're going to announce the new one because that's what they do. What do you think? Do you think it's, do you think it's 2024? 24, sorry. Uh, I, I think it is this year. Um, I think the clues are, why is the Switch release calendar so quiet? Or why is it full of things like a thousand year door? You know, uh, hey, look, thousand year door remake. Great. Mario versus Donkey Kong remake great um a princess peach thing where she changes outfits love it style's fantastic but there is very clearly the space where something like metroid prime 4 should be and it isn't so release schedule number one number two is how many people have been talking about the fact they were showing this off at gamescom last year um so they were showing off apparently a version of the switch 2 which is what it's strongly That's rumored to be what i'd heard yeah at gamescom and and the thing about it is that it's not a we're reinventing the wheel we're not doing the kind of classic nintendo jump from console generation of wild success massive flop wild success massive flop they're trying to go wild success wild success 2.0 and have a very similar thing but it's bigger it's more powerful but it's still less powerful than say you know uh, a full fully fledged ps5 so people should be ready for it and i think that i think your your timeline is absolutely what's going to happen i wouldn't be surprised if gdc is a moment where they say something because uh, everyone's yep. in town right I, I joked i joked this morning nintendo will announce the switch and someone will announce layoffs in the same day because yeah like you said it's all right to do it when everyone else is doing it let's see if we can sneak it under the radar with that big announcement um yeah burying, I'm, I'm burying bad money news. on that <laughs> yeah i mean like look it's it's a classic media technique i'm, I'm afraid <laughs> but um but yes gdc seems to me like a, a strongish time doesn't have to be but it wouldn't surprise me because why wouldn't you talk to the entire development community in the world about it and then if you do that there, you go towards Summer Games Fest time in June, right? You know, and that gives it. And like you say, you get it September, maybe October, if you do need a bit more time. But everyone buys it for Christmas. That's, yep. that's Nintendo's playbook. That's Nintendo. And Nintendo's playbook is it's family, right? Aim, like aim it for the is kids. A, aim for the, fa- the, parents, aim for the yeah. kids. Aim for the families. And what is the thing that even last Christmas, my friends who have kids who are at that age, what are they asking? They're going to me and coming switch how what's yep. the best what's the best deal here how does it work and so nintendo know that and and that that i think once that happens it changes the year because the other thing as well and i'm sorry we've not actually talked about the potential games we might be looking forward to this year the one other thing to think of is actually next year and it's grand theft auto mm. 6 because oh, unlike yeah. nintendo rockstar will be doing the long burn towards it because this has to be a billion dollar game like there's no and it will be but it has to be so they have to build the hype they have to build the momentum they have to do everything humanly possible to strike that balance between we're not going to say so much that you're going to feel like everything's been spoiled but we're going to make this such an event that 2025 will be dominated by that game probably 2026 as well so I think those two things are going to be big themes this year. Um, but then, yeah, sort of in terms of releases, what are you actually looking forward to out of the releases so, this year? There's already been a couple of interesting stuff that's dropped. Um, so Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown came out about a week or so ago. I've, I've heard nothing but good things about this game. I really want to try it yeah. out. Uh, also, was it today 
we've had Tekken 8 and yes. Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth has dropped, which is... I've, I've, I'm looking forward to playing Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth, but that's also like Yakuza 10 or something, and I just finished Yakuza yeah. 0. So I look forward to playing that in about three, four years. 20 years. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It took me 55 hours just to beat Yakuza 0. But um, yeah, but yeah, we've also had Pal World. Oh, God, let's not even talk about Pal World. That's too much for one day. Um, February, we have the Persona 3 remake, which I've never played any of the Persona games. I'm only now going to play no. Persona 5. Um, actually, it comes out the same day as Suicide Squad kills the Justice League, which is, of course, Rocksteady's big gamble um, post the Batman Arkham. I am interested in this, and I'll, uh, I'll give a wee bit... I've seen the GDC talk. So we actually yeah. have the a team from Rocksteady coming to give a talk about the AI that they're doing in it. And nice. I thought just listening to that made me interest and look at I've seen a rough cut of the presentation. And it's a really good talk. I need to give them feedback. Sorry, Geo, everybody over at Rocksteady. I'll get back to you on Monday, I promise. But I was really interested in that and I really enjoyed that presentation. And that's actually got me excited for that game because I generally, despite being a comic nerd, as we can tell yeah. in many regards. I don't really care about the Suicide Squad. I've never really had an interest in the Suicide Squad. Um, no. I didn't enjoy the movies really that much either, but I thought, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. What else? Helldivers 2 comes out in like two weeks. Yeah. That looks amazing. I'm so excited for that. Uh, I didn't even play the first one, but it looks like, yeah. as someone who's a huge Earth Defence Force fan, oh, this looks like someone's trying to do EDF in their own yeah. way and I'm okay right I'm on board I'm on board what else is coming out Mario and Donkey Kong we talked about that Skull and Bones yeah. Skull and Bones has actually got a release date this only happened yes. in the last day or so Skull and Bones sort of what is the release date now for 16th it 16th because... of February it comes out in less than a month mm, is that right don't or I mean change it if... that's what that's what Eurogamer's saying I mean, um, that's that's the thing is that I'm, I'll, I'll need a fact check on that because any I'm, kind I'm of fact checking it right now, <laughs> any kind of very late release date announcement for something that's been rumbling on as long as that makes me immediately go, hmm, interesting. Um, while yeah, you're doing go. that, so it's it, they have confirmed um, there will be an open beta from the eighth to the twelfth of February, uh, but I don't know if that is still the actual launch date or not. If anyone's in the chat, they might be able to know for sure. But um, yeah, yeah exactly. If some if someone in chat can give Tommy the intel, that'd be great. Because so there's a sequel that is not technically on the list yet, but I think people reasonably expect it to come out this year, or at least I'd cross my fingers and hope. Hollow Knight Silk Song. That is oh yes, that's the one that I I'll, I'll be honest. Out of everything that I hope happens in 2024, I hope this finally gets a release date. And I know because obviously when it was first revealed, it was kind of going to be a Game Pass day one thing. Um, so, you know, there is something around that. But again, I wouldn't be at all surprised if I loved Hollow Knight on Switch, particularly. It was like a perfect, I mean, you know, classic I've Switch. I've still is a great not played device. it. It's on my Switch and I've not got a chance to play it yet. I'm going to put it on my 2024 playlist. That's definitely yeah. something I'll it, do this year. I, I, I mean, for my money hollow knight is my favorite metroidvania of all time by quite a distance probably one of my top games of all time uh it's just wonderful um a game that i am interested in uh because I, I kind of don't know very much about it um and i'm interested to see what they do with it which is star wars outlaws so you know That's the ubisoft ubisoft for, massive entertainment yeah. isn't it yeah 
and you know it's 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 kind of Ubisoft open world Star Wars and there's part of me that worries you know it's going to be a kind of classic Ubisoft open world game and you've got to be realistically worried mm. about that but then you know the other part of it seems to be what I've seen so far is that it is sort of moving away from just being like, and you're a Jedi again, hooray. But maybe I'm wrong on that. You know, again, I've, I've, I've sort of vaguely right. just seen the assets and imagery and been like, does this just look a bit more interesting? Um, maybe it will be, maybe it won't be, but I'm interested in that. I think something else that I'm keeping an eye out for and something I'll be watching, and it sounds like an odd thing to say, because it's an annual release um and well maybe it's not an odd thing to say given how much i like football but football manager (laughs) but the thing that's odd this year or the thing that's worth watching is they are reportedly or they've in fact said publicly they're changing engine so this is apparently a full-blown engine change and having been aware of how so i know that historically and I don't know whether this is still true, but this was definitely true of even like three or four years ago. Scouting data was inserted into the game through Microsoft Access. So, yeah, because it was based, because this is based on a video game series that was first created in, I mean, if you're talking about all the way back to the Jumpman days, because it's still based on that engine all the way far back. You're talking about 90s, 2000s for when Football Manager first became its own standalone thing. So I think they have a lot of legacy stuff which has finally reached breaking point or the point where it can't take the series any further. But, you know, you change engine, right? It's a big thing and it can have a a big big impact. Yep. So I'm kind of fascinated to see what happens there. Let's see. uh, Over in the chat, Happy Pie says um, they're looking forward to Ark Riders, which is the other game that Embark Studios are working on alongside the finals. Nice. Uh, of course, not to admit, I was going to say a big a couple of big ones that are coming out in the next few weeks. Um, Final Fantasy VII Part Two. It's a rebirth, I believe it's called. That yes, comes out on the 29th of February because they they wanted to be funny about it. Um, which I think Take your chance. So I'm so I. I have a confession that I have never played Final Fantasy VII. So I, I joke about this with friends because I played Final Fantasy IV, went meh, and came back for fifteen. I have not played any Final Fantasy in between. And even then, I've only played the first few hours of fifteen. And I really enjoyed fifteen. Actually, this year, I'm going to play Final Fantasy XV. But I, I'm interested in trying Seven Remake just because... I don't have, it's funny being somebody who is that age who does not have the emotional attachment to that IP when so yeah. many people do, because I was, I was of the age when it came out and I looked at it and went, who gives us? Because also I wasn't a PlayStation kid. You know, you could only yeah. afford one console. I was a Nintendo kid and then I had a Dreamcast Sorry. and then gaming peaked and somehow I'm still here. Um, Precisely. Same, <laughs> same story here. Final Fantasy. Uh, no. Metal Gear Solid. Not really. I, I know Metal Gear Solid oh, okay. through the GameCube. That's that's actually my my jumping in point in terms of. Oh, Metal Gear did you Solid. play Twin Snakes? The, the uh, remake. So no, well, so this is the thing. So I, what was the, it? It's the remake of was two called, or one. In, it's one and two in like on the GameCube or whatever. So uh, there there was the first one got remade on GameCube because I can remember 
having to like literally unplug the gameplay control yes. game yes. controller as part of the classic moment i i don't think i played the second one there but one of the things i know I has been available has been the metal gear there's there's been the trilogy that released yeah they just right did the, the, the last year um and i am kind of tempted to go and play it but uh, i have yes. a similar thing with final I'll, fantasy and i will, I will know, say yes metal gear solid twin snakes on the gamecube is just the remake of the first one um but it's done to better align it to, to the second, second one it, pl- it plays yeah, like the second one does yeah um, that's so yeah, right there we go i, I was like i've played because that was good I, I remember that so i've played metal yeah. gear solid one two i got halfway through three thought it was meh and i turned it off i've never played four five revengeance or whatever so i need to no. that's a cardinal sin i know a whole bunch of people are going to complain i haven't played mgs it's, five but we'll get there yeah um, i mean I, I mean five is five is more worth it because it just ends up being a very silly emergent open world game actually it's core like you know you just end up doing really stupid stuff and it's fun but Um, on the final fantasy point the final fantasy game that i played crystal chronicles on gamecube terrible mistake bad game (laughs) bad entry in the series never been able to go back sorry final fantasy fans just not happen for me oh so dragon's dogma 2 is out in the 22nd of march which i've Dragon's Dogma is one of those, I'm going to get around to playing that. I've heard so many good things about it. So I'm kind of happy to, it's good to see that yeah. what was once considered a quite a niche cult game has got a sequel. Um, the Alone in the Dark, they've rebooted Alone Remake. in the Dark. Yeah, and it's got Jodie Comer in it. It's sort of and it, a weird... And like Hopper from Stranger Things, yeah. isn't it? I'm yeah, like, what, absolutely. What is this? It's it's an odd one, right? And I think I, I'm sort of, I, I mean, as well, if people are seeing me check my phone, it is because I am doing exactly the same thing as Tommy, which is just having <laughs> a look at releases. i from Eurogamer and up just, on the screen. And just being like, oh my God. Um, and I was just checking to see whether I was correct. And I do believe I am. That is Jodie Comer. Um, it is, yeah. Which, yeah. hey, you know, like um, that's a thing. I mean, I, I will say, I will say that, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier, Paper Mario, Thousand Year Door. Like, I'm quite looking forward to that re-releasing that'll be a nice little thing to enjoy on the switch before it probably goes um but yeah i mean like one of the big things is like there's just so many sort of to be confirmed games that probably don't land this year you know looking at the Eurogamer list uh once you hit about may it dries up quite drastically in fact the last game they list in may which i am excited for is senua saga hellblade 2 um yeah by ninja theory which I thoroughly enjoyed that first game. I thought it was fantastic. Like considering yeah. it was also a budget game as well yeah. that they, they did totally. just for the giggles. I'm like, right. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing what that's like. Uh, the only other games that I've actually got dates of note, uh, Stalker 2, Heart of Chernobyl in 5th of September and Warhammer 40k Space Marine 2 on the 9th of September. But uh, yeah. Yeah, it's not see. much. It's slim, slim pickings. Um, right, right now, I, yeah, like all these other games right you now, it's to be confirmed. Twenty twenty four Star Wars Outlaws, Avowed. Um, what else we got here? Eh, did Avowed, and then the Beyond Good and Evil twentieth anniversary. Yeah. Final Fantasy fourteen is coming to Xbox. Sure, why not? Yeah, and I, I think that's the thing, is that this year, I think I sort of described it as basically like a transition year. Like, it's coming out of the mayhem of uh, sort of the pandemic, out of the mayhem of the kind of the pandemic reset, 
And I think everyone is basically lining themselves up for the kind of mid to tail end of this console generation, realistically, mm-hmm. you know, because again, the one thing that is useful, um, thanks Xbox for this, um, you didn't mean to do it, but leaking all of your plans last year accidentally <laughs> when you uh, um, when you use the FTC's slightly dodgy web portal, you know, they, they put in there 2028, right? That's where their new console is, which means by the time we hit October of this year, we're halfway from we are at the midpoint essentially and so that's going to be the thing is there's going to be a lot of move towards those late era releases you know mid to late era releases of this generation but it also means loads of developers are going to start going well hang on a minute how long do triple a games make take to make nowadays yeah going to be doing Um, four years of work better start crewing up what there was the 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 insomniac leak not that long ago where it had like full timeline of releases yeah. dating back to Spider-Man all the way up to like beyond their their current I'm not going to say names or yeah. anything because I don't think that's but they're talking about games up to about 2031 2032 I think yeah. so they know this is probably going to be a title on the PS6 at this point yeah. and so yeah there's probably a lot of games that are in pre-production right now that it's like yep that's this is going to be a next gen title so yeah we're in that kind of interesting space and allowing them to breathe a little bit. Um, and at the same time, we've also got Switch games. Like, funnily, funnily enough, you were t- again, you were talking about the Switch. Like, Luigi's Mansion 2 HD is coming out. That's the yeah. big summer game that currently Nintendo have got lined up. Don't get me wrong, Luigi's Mansion 2, great game. Um, really enjoyed Luigi's Mansion 2. It's not a system seller. Uh, no. So clearly they're sitting on something. Yeah. And 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 you, you just look at the number of games and you just go remake, rejig, reboot, and it's like you're keeping you're keeping stuff in the engine so that things keep ticking over and then you know that you're going to just basically sort of unveil what the actual thing is later in the year. Um, you know, my crossed fingers hope is new 3D Mario game. Well, they've been was it the 3D Mario team wasn't it the rumour they were working on a Donkey Kong game or something for a long time but I've yeah, also heard that's... about a 3D Mario game is in the works that's the other rumour I've heard yeah. around absolutely if they do so actually the thing I'll be interested in does Nintendo announce another Metroid Prime remaster at another an upcoming direct because yeah. they've already done the first one I feel like they're going to announce Metroid Prime 2 and 3 remaster because if they do that that's them setting the runway up for Metroid Prime 4 because yeah, we know they're would, working on it. And like and, you said, you would, think it's a it, launch title. Yeah, and it would make a lot of sense. I mean, again, because they've announced Metroid Prime 4. They went weirdly quiet on it. And I think it's, like you say, I mean, look at the look at the way they announced the Switch. Look at the slate of titles they had to announce for it they had a really solid like 14 or so games you know and you know they weren't all system sellers but there was that mix of here's a big brand new zelda game that reimagines the series but also here's a load of stuff that adds depth to the bench Mm. um and i think you're going to see those kinds of things but metro prime 4 to me feels like the obvious kind of one of the system sellery kind of games so anything you can do to get people thinking metro prime i want to play the next in the series well if you've played metro prime remastered you probably then want to play two and three and then if you play two and three in time for four worse right. one, honestly. so i have two i have metro prime remastered over there bought it in a sale recently i haven't played it yet 
too many games I haven't played yet. Too but I'm looking games. forward to because I I met I played Metroid Prime on the GameCube. I then bought the the Wii trilogy pack they did. Yeah, which was because because also Metroid Prime Three I loved. Metroid Prime Two yeah. not a big a fan of, but. It's like, okay, I really want to try it out. Just double checking in the chat. Um, Happy Pie says Hades 2, hopefully, will be interesting, which I think that. Yeah. Is that, I don't, can't remember, is that going into early access again, like they did the first one? Or is it like I an actual full fledged launch? Um, I don't know, but I'm interested to see where oh, it no, goes. It is, definitely. It's, Hades 2 will be, in, will be in early access. And then also, who else was in the chat? Uh, let's see. Um. So I'm waiting for Angerfoot since last year, which uh need to find Damn. out what that was. Um and then uh Oh right, that looks quite fun. Oh, it's Devolver. Um first person shooter video game. Looks like of you course. do a lot of angry kicking and shooting people. Uh, it sounds like a Devolver game. Like Liam, as soon as you said it was Devolver, I was like, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Uh Liam says Falling Frontier, which looks like a pretty awesome uh Space RTS and nice. Handsome Jack says still holding out for a sequel to A Way Out. You can't get a sequel to A Way Out, Jack, because I killed you in A Way Out. You're dead. You don't get to come yeah. back. That's it. No, um, you're done. Have you have you played A Way Out? No. Oh, no, so, no yeah, yeah. I'm afraid yeah, not. A way out. It's uh, but I, but it's but I've not played it. But similar things about loads of people being like, this is very good, and also it's very final in terms of how it ends. Yeah, like so it's. The first hour or two is basically prison break, and it's yeah. oh, that's quite fun. And then it then just becomes your um, it then becomes army of two as you're like two fugitives on the run from the cops for the rest yeah. of the game. And then it kind of builds up this whole thing of your it builds tension between the two characters. And then at the end, one of you has to kill the other one, and there's yeah. no way around it. And I'm, you know, Jack, yep. I did kill you. I didn't actually mean to kill you. I just tried to get you to like stop attacking me. And my solution to get you to stop attacking me was to kill you, um, which had the desired effect of stopping you from attacking me. But um, Yeah, exactly. But somewhat, somewhat final and makes you feel like, yeah, returning to it is a little difficult. What with, but you know, it's just like, it's that classic thing of, I don't know. I was just immediately thinking about true detective true detective always it's the same brand always something a bit different though so you know it's just like you can treat it like that like you know it's just like play it in a different way like happy by says anger foot looks like a hot my hotline miami fps where your foot does the shooting i need to watch this trailer like as soon as as soon as we're off this call because absolutely it, i didn't even know this game existed but it's like oh this looks really good can yeah. i also just say just in a, in a, in a slightly positive moment i have had the, i have had VGC's news page up the whole time we've been here waiting for another video game layoff story and so I'm really grateful yeah. that the video games industry decided to take a breather and yeah. not let anyone go in the roughly 90 minutes we've been on the air which well, exactly. can we just keep exactly. that up please yeah and I think you know we'll probably have to jump off soon on the basis that we're coming up to six o'clock which means that it's coming up to another point where embargoed press releases about layoffs might start suddenly getting released no, into the no. press so you know it's like yeah we've got to jump before it get, get, gets too desperate again Tommy indeed indeed on that note we should start actually looking to wrap up thank you all to everyone um, who's tuned in to us live this is the first time we've done it we've still got a few production pr production production exactly Pr production um, issues yeah yeah. Uh, yeah we've got a few production issues to figure out we need to get uh what we need to do is we need to get george a bigger microphone 
clearly. I think that's what it is. If you just look at the size of it, I don't think it's big enough for him. So no. we'll fix that up. Um, the audio version of the podcast will be live shortly. I don't know why I'm saying this, because if you have already listened to us all the way to the end, you don't want to listen to it again. And if you're listening to us on the audio for the first time, uh, I hope the audio was better than it was live. And uh, we'll be back. What we're trying to do, here's the goal, is we want to try and record the podcast a little bit more frequently. We already have, I say we, I'll tell you offline, George, because I sorted all this out without you. Um, we have about four guests already lined up for the show in the next few weeks. Uh, which is really in the next couple of months rather, which is really exciting. So we're going to try and get into a bit more of a regular cadence of doing this. And uh, But yeah, with that, thank you all very much. I hope you've all had a great time. And anything else you want to say, George, before we log off? Uh, no, except for subscribe to my newsletter, please. Video Games Industry Memo Substack. Thank you very much. And also, I will try and make sure that my mic works better because this is the first time this has ever happened to me and I'm very confused. I'm just gonna say, I've never accused you of being quiet. No, it's literally the opposite it's of the, what people the, say it's about the, me. It's the one thing that nobody's ever said about either of us. No. So, no. there you go. Challenging times. <laughs> but yes, thank you very much, everyone. Please subscribe to the Video Games Industry Memo on Substack. Subscribe to AI and Games on Substack while you're at it. And yeah, have a good one, oh, everybody. Have a great Friday night or afternoon or morning, wherever you are. In the world. Or if it's Saturday where you are, have a good time. But yeah, stay safe, take care, and we'll catch you all again very soon. Going to play the intro music. Here we go. The Branching Factor podcast is hosted and produced by me, Tommy Thompson, with support from Anne Sullivan, George Osborne, Mike Cook, and Quang Yoon. Our theme music is provided courtesy of Ben Ridge. The logo and thumbnail are is thanks to Helen O'Dell. Special thanks to Shraddha Gupta and Phoebe Trigg for additional production support. And of course, to all of you out there listening. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Branching Factor. Wherever you are in the world, be sure to stay safe, have fun, and we'll be back.